Week 52 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. A whole year, guys. We've made it. Hope you are enduring this national crisis that we're all living through together. I got a different kind of show today. I am going to bring you a conversation with an expert in Homeland Security and a conversation with a nurse on the front line. And I'll talk a little politics too, but just a little bit. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the battle. Not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. All right, so here we are, our 52nd podcast. So next week is a year that I've been doing this. I, I can't believe it. I, I had some stuff planned. I was going to do a year of the pod party. and We're going to launch a second season. I probably should launch it next week, right? Uh, week one of year two. But uh, I'm going to launch it in a couple weeks so that we have some time to prepare. Maybe get a special guest, do some things different, mix things up give the platforms a reason to promote the pod and pop it up to the top. But uh, this is going to be a little bit of a different show. I'm going to talk a little politics, and I'm probably going to come back and do another pod later in the week, which is more political. But I want to talk about heroes. I mean, we're all living through this right now. And there are a lot of heroes, and you're going to hear from a nurse who is a hero of mine, has been a hero of mine even before this. Um for what she does to support the community. Um, You're also going to hear from a man who has been heavily involved with Homeland Security, both uh, in government and now as a consultant. But I want to talk about people that haven't always been thought of as heroes and maybe even have been ignored. And I know I've talked about this somewhat on this show. And I know I tell you the story about how, you know, I used to wake up on Monday and Thursday to the sound of the garbage truck backing down my block at like 6.15 a.m. It's about an hour before, about 45 minutes before I normally wake up. And it would always annoy me, right? That I'd hear that beep, 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 because I live on a dead end and they would back up down the down the block because it's hard to turn around. And uh, now when I hear it, I'm so happy to hear it. I'm so happy to hear these guys still working, keeping society running, right? These men and women who are doing these jobs like sanitation worker, delivery person, grocery store worker, I mean, they are 
clearly the glue that is holding society together right now. I mean, I don't know if you're a Democrat or Republican listening to this right now, but you've got to believe that these people are helping us all get through it, whatever your partisan affiliation is. I mean, where would we be if we couldn't go to the store and buy groceries? There'd be chaos. I mean, the fact that these sanitation workers still come, they still show up. Utility workers still show up. There is definitely a risk to their health doing it, right? But they're there. They're showing up. They're doing the jobs that are keeping us all together. And we really need to show them our appreciation. You know, I, I, I... I think as a nation, when this is over, we have to, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. As a nation, when this is over, we have to find a way to make sure that everyone who, you know, works for a living is paid a living wage, especially those people who we now realize are super essential to our lives. I mean, I'm sorry. Most grocery store workers do not make a living wage. They don't. I mean, in some states, there might be a prevailing wage law. There might even be a living wage law. But in most parts of the country that are listening to this podcast right now, no such thing exists. And those people are coming to work for minimum wage. And they probably have to work two or three jobs to survive. And now we're looking at them as our lifeline. They are our lifeline right now. And I have always been passionate that people who work full time should be able to have a comfortable life through that work, no matter what that work is, and that there needs to be a value to work. That is something I fully believe in. But I have never been more passionate about it than I am now. And I I, I will take this passion with me when this ends. And I will make it an issue that we will fight for. Because we've got to make sure that the people we're relying on are able to work one job, not four, not three. They shouldn't be working 80 hours a week to live in a one-bedroom apartment or a small house. No, we got to make sure that they are paid a living wage and that they could find affordable housing and health care and child care and they can live a comfortable life. They're essential to us. They have been our lifeline. They are the glue That is holding this society together. Without them, there would be chaos. So thank them when you see them. And make sure that when this is over, you don't forget what they did for you. You don't forget that they put themselves in harm's way, just like soldiers do. I mean, it's not the same. Nobody's shooting at them. But there's an unseen enemy that is trying to kill us right now. And we don't know who it's going to kill. And we don't know who it's going to infect. And neither do they. But they are getting up every day and they are going to work for us to keep the society moving in this direction it's been moving in. To keep it sane, right? To hold us together. To prevent chaos. Now, doctors and nurses, they are the frontline troops, right? They are out there. They are clearly putting themselves in harm's way. They are walking into hospitals and they are meeting patients that have it, that are showing symptoms, that are shedding the virus, 
And they are now having to deal with that, not only at work, but you know, what do they do after work? How do they go home to their families knowing that they've been treating these patients all day? I talked to an excellent nurse, somebody who I've known, Allison Rowe. She is the head nurse of the ER at Stony Brook University Medical Center here on Long Island. And I asked the Stony Brook PR department for a nurse on the front lines to talk on my show. And they gave me Allison, who I've actually known uh, for about 10 years. Our daughters played soccer together. Um, uh, her daughter's actually an excellent soccer player. And, and Allison and her husband, uh, Colby, they are nurses. And she's a nurse and he's an EMT. So they're on the front, front, front lines. They have three kids. And she's holding up remarkably well under the stress of this. And I, you know, I've talked to a lot of doctors. I live in a community that is, you know, very, very close to a a major medical center. And I talked to a lot of doctors and, you know, look, it's a stressful time for them. Doctors and nurses and orderlies and the, 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 the techs and the phlebotomists, the people who are catering. I mean, this is a moment where we are seeing all of these people work so hard and there's no end in sight, right? I mean, we're hearing some good news that the curve may be plateauing in New York and maybe it's plateauing in other parts of the country, but that doesn't mean it's over for them, right? The hospital systems are still at capacity, and maybe the fact that we're plateauing, you know, plateauing means that we might not be overrun. Thank God. But there's no end in sight. And these people are working, you know, 12, 16 hour days, six or seven days a week. America, we've got to remember them. We've got to make sure that they are treated like the heroes that they are. I, I don't want to be too political today. There's plenty of time for politics. I won't talk about how the president's press briefings are, you know, he always starts off not being political, but he can't help himself, right? He can't help himself. And I'm not just annoyed that I got bumped off Fox News because the press conference went long last night, although that did bother me. But I'll be back on later in the week. Go to at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. Or you could go back to ChristopherHahn.com. I fixed my website. So it's back up. ChristopherHahn.com. I'll update it at some point. But my Twitter feed's there. There's contact information there. Um, there's links to this podcast and to the radio show. Uh, I'm going to have some big news in radio soon. I, 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 uh, my syndication's going to a whole nother level. Let's just leave it. Let's just leave it at that. Um, but we're really excited about what's going on. And I really appreciate you listening to this podcast. If you like it, please tell a friend. So, uh, I'm going to take a quick break and then I'm going to be back with Allison Rowe, the chief nurse at the Stony Brook University Medical Center. Stay where you are. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. 
I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. Uh, joining me now is the, uh, I guess, what we call you, the chief nurse at Stony Brook University Medical Center. Stony Brook University is uh, part of the State University of New York, uh, and the hospital is on the front lines in the battle against COVID-19. Uh, testing in Suffolk County is being done on that campus. Uh, Allison Rowe uh, has been the head of the emergency room nurses uh, department for, I guess, six years now, Allison? Um. I've been a member of the emergency department at Stony Brook for almost 19 years now. Um, I've been the manager, oh God, for years, nine, and now for the past five, I've been the associate director of emergency and cardiac services. So not exactly the chief nurse right yet, um, but definitely um, helping to lead both the emergency and cardiac teams at Stony Brook. Well, you're doing a great, you're doing God's work right now. And I, I just want to say on behalf of everybody that listens to the show and everybody in America, you know, keep up the good work. We know you're putting yourself in harm's way every day and taking a lot of time away from your family and friends and life to uh, help others. And that's why you got into nursing. So we love nurses. We love doctors. We love all the people that make the hospital go, the orderlies, the, the cleaning staff, the caterers. Uh, and we know how important the work you're doing is right now. So why don't you just tell us, you know, how is it going over there? Um, how is it going? I think you already said it um, really great. It is the teamwork of everyone. We could not do that with uh, any of this without the support of everyone. The amazing things that I've seen in such a crazy time um, have been overwhelming. The you know, being able to create a testing site at the P-Lot, which was a collaborative, you know, um, collaboration between the hospital um, and, you know, the DOH services has been incredible. By the way, the um, P-Lot where you and I met 10 years ago when our daughters yeah. were on four, four-year-olds playing soccer together. <laughs> so. Yes. And so, you know, it makes me a bit sad to see a, a place that I love so much and I get so much enjoyment watching our kids you know, play soccer, yeah. turn into a world that doesn't even look the same anymore. It's amazing. But they're doing such incredible work, and the nursing staff um, have really been at the forefront of that um, in the emergency department within our hospitals, um, alongside lots of important other people. But, you know, nothing is the same at Stony Brook right now. Everything is different, um, and that has been a huge, you know, uh, thing just to get used to. Right. I mean when we look around, we don't see people's faces. You know, everybody's covered in a mask. Everybody yep. has eye protection. You know, everybody um, really has taken less protective measures to keep our patients safe as well as themselves. So, you know, nothing is the same um, at Stony Brook. But I have to tell you that we have to think about all the positive things that are happening, and there's lots of positive things. I, I mean, I've never seen Stony Brook be able to acclimate so quickly to something that's changing so fast right um we've opened so many new units we've opened tents you know um our p-lot also has an emergency room you know um to take care of our low acuity patients um we've opened units that weren't 
at some point vacant, we've redeployed our staff across the hospital to take care of our patients. And by the way, you know, you're being modest. I know that you've been involved in the management and creation of a lot of this as well. Um, uh, I I, I, I have, you know, I work with a very talented group of nurses, group of physicians, group of um, staff. And um, as you said, I got into nursing to help people, and I certainly can't stay away from the bedside. Um, So during this time, I've been um, blessed to be able to work with a lot of the nursing staff in the emergency department, um, being able to take care of um, these patients. You know, I guess one would say I don't have to do those things, but I feel like, you know, it's the best way I can help. Right. Um, And helping to create these other areas to take care of the influx of patients that we're seeing. Well, that's what leaders do. They become servants, right? And that's what, uh, and that's why you're a leader. That's why you're in this job and, and we're lucky to have you. Let me ask you this question. A lot of people have asked me, you know, if I get sick with something other than Corona, do I go to the emergency room? You do. So we definitely have the ability to um, sort of filter out our patients. So we have, created these alternative spaces in our hospital and in our emergency department so we can try to keep the sick people um in a in a area off to the side and still be able to see the emergencies that we see every day unfortunately car accidents are still happening every day you know strokes and cardiac you know events so we have to serve all of our patients um not just the ones that are being um you know impacted by coronavirus so we're able to be able to make sure that we can do both of those things um, well right now. So I know Stony Brook University has now created a, a multi-bed uh, expansion at the field house, and they are converting some dorm rooms now into places where people can stay. Are you concerned that the univer- are, are you concerned that we might reach a level where the university medical center is at capacity? Um. I think that if that wasn't, you know, I think that everybody is concerned. I think that, you know, the question that I get asked all the time and I ask myself, what is this going to stop? What is the ceiling? You know, at what point do we not have to open another unit? Um, You know, how are we going to help those if, you know, we continue to be stretched the way that we are? And, you know, I have to tell you that there's so much creativity to be able to continue doing the work that we need to do. Um, redeploying the staff that are no longer at the bedside and bringing them back, refreshing them to be able to be comfortable at the bedside. And, you know, thankfully, each step along the way, we've been able to meet the demands of our patients. Um, I think that we're all a little scared, right? You know, we all have to, this is scary, um, but hope. We need to make sure, you know, that we do have hope and we sort of look at what we can do right now and how we can, you know, change tomorrow and tomorrow I'm responsible for opening another unit um and that gives me great hope that we're able to meet the needs of more patients within our community that's great and how is the morale would you say of the nursing staff you have about 500 nurses that work for you we do uh, you know shockingly amazing I mean you know they are up for the challenge to climb this mountain I mean the outpouring of support for our hospital has been amazing. There's pictures from the community that are taped along, you know, our walls of, you know, well wishes for the nursing staff and the docs. The community support 
of meals being donated to the hospital and the staff have been absolutely amazing during this very sobering yeah. time. Yeah. And, you know, one of the nurse practitioners today was being redeployed to a unit that, you know, she had um, no prior experience with. And she wrote the most beautiful poem of how, you know, she is in this to support each other and that she won't forget where she came from. But she's Amen. Do the best she can. All right, Allison, Do- Allison, stay right there. I'm going to come right back with Allison Rowe. She is the chief nurse at Stony Brook University's Medical Center ER. All right, here is uh, part two of my interview with Allison Rowe from Stony Brook University Medical Center. Allison, uh, I really do appreciate you taking time out of what has got to be one of the most hectic schedules, uh, you know, out there. I, you were telling me about your colleagues uh, right before the break, and I really want to hear some more about these amazing uh, men and women that you work with, probably more women than men uh, that you work with, and, and what they're doing and how they're dealing with this. Uh, I would, I was just saying that you know, this is they're really rising to the challenge and um, lifting each other up at the same time. Um, like I said, one of the nurse practitioners today was being redeployed and she sent out a, a pretty much a this absolutely beautiful message that said, I'm not going to forget where I'm coming from, but I'm going to give the best to um, everybody of where I'm going. And, you know, if that is not class in a difficult situation, I right. can't say what is. I mean, there's lots of people that we are asking to do pretty extraordinary things. And, um, you know, overwhelmingly, it's I will, I can, I am, you know, I'm here to help. This is what I, you know, chose to do. And um, we want to fix this together. We want to break this chain together. And, um, I mean, it's more than heartlifting, you know, um, our psychiatric team created essentially a respite space for our staff. It's great. It brought me to tears when, uh, you know, it, essentially, you know, a, a hero in scrubs is resting in this room. Please give them privacy. Yeah. It's those little things that really make a big difference when you are in this hours and hours and days and weeks at a time, which, you know, it, there hasn't been a lot of breaks for our yeah. uh, teams. I mean, are, what are they, before. are they working six day shifts? Are they working 12 hour, 12 hour days and six days a week? Or what, what's, what's the schedule yeah. like for these nurses? I mean, amazingly, a lot of our nursing team has offered voluntarily, you know, to do extra shifts to help cover the influx of our patients. They primarily are working 12 hours a day. Our docs are usually working five and six days in a row, 12 hours at a time, you know, so there's not a whole lot of break in that. And, you know, and obviously the turmoil that's going on in their personal lives, you know, with their kids not being at school and who's watching them and are their loved ones safe? You know, that balance is pretty tricky in the best of times. And it really calls on their their community, um, you know, to try to make that balance make sense when we're asking them so much of them from both sides, you know, both personally and professionally. I mean, this is a war, right? And, and the nurses and doctors and other hospital staff are on the front lines of this war and, and we've got to treat them and, 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 you know, 
We got to treat the store, the grocery clerks and the truck drivers and the delivery people and utility workers who are out there keeping the lights on and the gas flowing. We got to treat them like soldiers, right? Like first responders. It's amazing to me what's going on. And the stories of heroism that I'm hearing from you and from others is just touching. And I hope that America understands this. And I, you know, I'm, I've got listeners in the Midwest and in states where this really hasn't impacted yet. In fact, tonight, I think it's my first night on in Idaho, um, which is a state that doesn't really have that many cases. And um, I, what would you say to, to medical professionals in those states who have not yet experienced this? I, I would say learn from us, you know, um, partner with uh, people that are, you know, within your field about what is working and what is not, um, what is going well and what is not. And Chris, I could never imagine the scope, the breadth, and the depth of this situation. And, you know, I'm not sure that I would equate it to war because I couldn't imagine myself in that situation of, you know, those frontline soldiers and those sort of things. But this is nothing that I've ever seen within healthcare. And we all have the ability to try to, you know, break this chain and self, you know, isolation and quarantine and distancing and all those catchwords that you hear. And you're like, that's never going to happen to me. It's happening. And yeah. we need to heed those warnings because it's probably the only thing that's going to help change the course of, uh, you know, this virus. Well, it is is like war in the sense that there are people who are on the front lines who are putting themselves in harm's way for the protection of others. And 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 that and that is the, you know, the medical staff that's out there and people still keeping the society glued together, the, you know, the the truck drivers and the, you know, grocery store workers and and people who are just making sure that basic everyday life continues in America without, you know, without which we would have a breakdown in the social order in this country and things would get even worse. Um, but and I think like you said, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. And like you said, a lot of my patients, you know, some of them have been healthcare workers or first responders or police, but a lot of those people that we're caring for, I'm caring for are those people, the people that work at your gas station, the mm. people that are essential at your grocery store, the those people that are supporting our community. And you said it at the beginning of the show, and I can't emphasize that enough. Those people that help support what we're doing either at the hospital, in our construction team, or within our community are just as much being affected by this, you know, and just as much on our front line with us. Um, because they definitely, you know, are helping keep all of us going within the community. And, you know, it's very surprising to me that th- many of those uh, are our patients every day that we're seeing, you know, the people that are within our community that are still at their jobs, still working, still keeping things moving ahead yeah. for us. Yeah, and it's amazing. It's amazing that those people are still doing that. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to talk politics with you because this is not your your game, but we've got to make sure that when this is over, we're making sure that those people are making a living, that they could afford to have a basic, you know, life, a home and a car and family, uh, you know, for the for the jobs that they're doing. It's uh, I think we're going to be in a situation where America is going to appreciate a lot of people that they haven't really paid too close attention to a lot more 
uh, when this is over. Um, you know, there's been a lot of conversations about um, PPE and the lack thereof. Um, I, I know that that your medical center is well run and you probably haven't seen that. But is there any concern on your part? I mean, I know you're probably burning through it a lot faster than you normally would. Um, I think that PPE at Stony Brook and anywhere else is definitely a hot topic, something that we focus immensely on and something that we really uh, need to take seriously. Um, I think that just like you asked about, are we concerned that what is the max number of patients that we're going to be seeing and what's our ceiling? It's the same thing about our PPE. If we are not creative and innovative of how we're going to use it, how we're going to reuse it, how we're going to sterilize it so we can use it again, um, we will be in a very difficult situation very fast. The burn rate is incredibly fast. And, you know, we need to make sure that we balance the safety of our teams and having the ability to provide masks and PPE going forward. And that's one of the silver linings in this. You know, we're creating a, you know, a sterilization plan for our masks. Um, and that's being helped through a third party. And, you know, that's one of those things that um, we need to do. You know, would we like to do it? Do we have to do it? We need to do it. We need to make sure that we can do this for the long haul. And we need to make sure that we're going to be able to take care of our patients in a week and a month and make sure our uh, staff stay safe at the same time, you know. Yep. So it's definitely the balance of both of those. All right. I got, about, I got about 30 seconds left to you. What would you say to the average American listening right now they should be doing to keep you all safer and themselves safe? take care of themselves listen as far as don't don't be reckless and think that social distancing is a new fad word or you know it's not going to happen to you i see too many young people that are very sick it can happen to all of us and we need to be able to keep each other in check and safe so we can try to make this Stop. Allison Rowe, thank you for everything you're doing. America is counting on you, and we love you, and we hope you stay safe, okay? Thank you. I mean, listening to Allison, I mean, you hear it in her voice, right? I mean, this is a war. Nurses, doctors, and everybody who works in a hospital, whether they are the orderlies, the phlebotomists, the sanitation people, janitorial staff, I guess they would be called in there. I mean, the catering staff, everybody that works there, they are on the front lines. God bless them. Think about them. Care for them. If you know somebody, check in on them. Check in on their families. They're going through a tough time. So I got another guest here who's got a different perspective, like from the Homeland Security perspective on this. Mike Balboni uh, was the... He was the chair of the New York State Senate Homeland Security uh, Committee right after 9-11. And then he went to work as the first, uh, maybe, I don't know if he was the first director. He might have been the second director of the New York State uh, Department of Homeland Security uh, in the state of New York. Um, He knows a lot about what's going on here. So here's my interview with uh, Senator, former Senator and former Director of Homeland Security, Mike Balboni. Joining me now is a man I've known, uh, I think, my entire professional life. He is the former head of Homeland Security 
for the state of New York and a former state senator from Long Island. Michael Balboni is the, I guess, what are you, the managing partner of Redland Strategies, or what do we call you there? Yes, that's correct. I am president and managing director. President and managing director of Redland Strategies, a consulting group that deals primarily with issues of uh, security and uh, and the like and other things because Mike Balboni emergency management. Yes, exactly. So that's that's your thing. I mean, you've been emergency yep. management guy basically since nine eleven, right? You you took over uh, that job shortly after nine eleven, I if I remember correctly, when Patterson or it was Spitzer that got elected governor and he appointed you. Um, uh, director of Homeland Security for the state of New York. That actually happened in, in 2007, but in 2003, the New York State Senate created the first state-level committee on Homeland Security and, and appointed me chairman of that. Got it. So I was chairman of that committee for all the years leading up to my leaving the state legislature and uh, going to the governor's office and the cabinet. And and Mike is, is one of the pe- people who, you know, when— there is an issue like this that is not just a pandemic, but it's a national security threat, I, if I've ever seen one. You've got to be busier than almost anybody on the planet right now. Um, Mike's one of the people who, who really knows the 411. So, Mike, you know, seeing what's going on right now, why don't you just give me your, your overview of, 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 of what's happening and what you think people really need to know right now? So one of the other uh, things that I do, uh, is I run an association of 90 nursing homes in, in the state of New York in the metropolitan area. So I've gotten a chance to see firsthand all the different issues that are uh, affecting the long-term care industry. As we know, the, the country first view of virus pandemic was in a nursing home in Washington state. Yep. And so that has the image of how bad and how deadly this disease can be in a closed setting with immunocompromised adults or the elderly or folks who have what they call in medicine a comorbidity. Right. Which means you have, you know, diabetes or issues and then this disease comes in and creates what they call the cytostorm, which essentially fills your lungs up so you can't breathe, and then they go on, on respirators if they have the respirators. Right, right. And and um, and then they, you know, unfortunately, there's a <clears throat> very high mortality rate in, in that type of a setting. So, and the other thing is, that, so I, I have the opportunity to, I also represent, believe it or not, the Brooklyn Nets and, and the Barclays Center, and so I'm, I've worked a lot with them, and from, a, from an NBA perspective, what is the intelligence they're seeing? And so it's a fascinating view of the medical aspects of it, of the security slash emergency management aspects of it. And then, frankly, imp- an important element of our society is, is entertainment. Yeah. And, and especially as we go forward, you know, what, what does it look like? You, you cancel the sports events, and what kind of an effect it ha- does that have on people yeah. throughout the country? Yeah. And then, you know, and, and what are the first signs of recovery? That will be one of them. Yeah, when they open them. Do you think that we're going to get back into a situation, though, where we're filling arenas with people this year? So, obviously, that's the biggest question. You know, will we have a a Major League Baseball season? That's one of the biggest questions. Will we put people in stadiums? Right. Um, You know, so all the the information that I am seeing, and I also represent companies that have a global footprint. So I'm seeing information from Asia and and from uh, Europe. All the information that I'm seeing indicates that this does have a, a timeline. Of course, we've, we've been watching China 
and in terms of their experience, their number. Right. Unfortunately, no one's really believing uh, all you know the accuracy of those numbers. Right. And, and so and that so that's coloring any of the information we're seeing. But we're you know we're on one hand we're encouraged that they're saying up oh, you know we've, we've gotten through this. We're coming back. We're watching for reinfections, but we're coming back. Right. And then some of the other things that become very disturbing, like you know, North Korea and Russia closed their borders with China. If China's back, how come the borders are still closed? Right. You know, things. So there, so there are indications of, of, that they're not quite telling you know the real accurate picture. I mean, just in a, in a country of 1.2 billion, you only had 3,500 deaths. Yeah, I, I find that hard to believe. Right. Yeah, well, I, the rest of the world does as well. Yeah, but, but so, so here's what we're seeing. So let me let me give, you know, it's it's if you turn on the news, Chris, you look at the New York Times, Washington Post, everybody. There's such horrible news, and it's a very important to make sure people understand, you know, to the best of the ability, what is really happening out there. But there's also a need for some good news, and so it's it's too early to tell, but the numbers we're seeing in the in metropolitan New York are first glimpses of a little bit of a flattening of the curve. Right. That the amount of infections here and what they call ground zero are perhaps, perhaps slowing. And, and, and that's, of course, the news that we really need to get to. We need to get right. the apex of this. Um, but, but, it, but it's kind of a race against time. And it's, this is not just only in New York. This would be across the country. Yeah. So there, here's the race. Race is getting to that apex where the disease starts to lessen and starts to decline and then eventually end versus the healthcare system's ability to treat people. And, you know, unfortunately, we're in a spot that we've never been before in history. People say, well, 19... The oh, I lost you there Spanish for a second. 19 what? Sorry. 1918. 1918. Yep. Right. In Spanish flu. No, no. This is a different situation. Back then, it was, you know, there was a world war happening. Uh, the U.S. soldiers being packed in troop ships, a perfect um, incubator, uh, yeah, incubator for the for the disease. Now this is this is really different, and medicine was different at the time. Yep. Also, communication was different. Right. You know, we have the ability to tell people, you know, don't stay in, stay in, stay home. Right. And if, but unfortunately, there's also a lot of misinformation. Yeah. As, you I know, mean, you have a governor. You have a governor of a major state, Georgia, saying that he didn't know until yesterday that people could be asymptomatic. I mean, where's he getting his news from? I mean, I, I mean, this guy needs to yeah. resign tomorrow. I mean, he's a fool. He shouldn't be running a state. <clears throat> and Ron DeSantis well, is another one. He's going to do reverse Easter, man. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I, I, I think unfortunately, our uh, public officials, with possibly the exception of Andrew Cuomo, um. They nobody's prepared for this. Yeah, nobody. Nobody's really. You know, there's no book on this. It's, I've been involved. I, I, I privilege of being a part of uh, a senior fellow at the George Washington Homeland Security Center for a long time. Right. Discussed a lot of what they call, you know, bio defense, bio preparedness. Right. And and we've called on you know these. You need to have surge capacities. You need to talk about some elasticity in your healthcare network. You'll be able to, you'll be able to cross-train people, someone like what they do in, in Israel. Yeah. Um, those things cost money. There's nothing that is specifically on the horizon. Nobody ever thought anybody would actually launch 
you know, a bioweapon back then. Now, this is, you know, there's no indication that this is a bioweapon. Okay. Right. I don't but, think it is. There's a lot, of, a lot of anecdotes out there. I know. A lot no of people want to say it is because they, you know, they right. don't want, they don't want right. anybody, they don't want Trump to be blamed at all. So they're saying, right. oh, so, this must be something dubious so, to take down Trump. There, there's no, well, at the same time, and in, in Iran, they think that this is being done. Right. So there's, there's a tremendous amount of misinformation Completely. back and forth. Um, but, but, the first is young, I'm healthy, I'm strong, and I can't get the virus wrong. Yeah. That is, I took, take a look at the numbers that are coming out of New York City every day. It's, 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 a, it's a scary, scary, scary thing. All right. All right. Senator, I got to go take a quick break. We're going to be right back. Yep. All right. No break for you. Here's part two of my interview with Mike Balboni. So, how would you rate, um, you know, ultimately rate? the response the federal government has given to this, uh, to this crisis? So in the beginning, I think that there was a real question as to um, how much intelligence did they have out of China? You know, there's some folks who sit there and say, this is the worst intelligence failure since uh, the Pearl Harbor or 9-11. Um, you can make the case that you know, gee, we should have known more out of what's going on in, in China and should have been able to um, gauge our response. Right. But, you know, there, there, there's something very very real about this, and you've got to appreciate this. Even if the president had come out on, say, you know, January 30th and said, this is going to be a pandemic, this is going to be the worst thing we're ever going to see. Right. We're going to shut down businesses in the country. Nobody would have listened to him. Mm. Everyone would sit there and said, no, 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 because it wasn't the evidence. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, look, on January 21st, we got our first case in the United States of America, and that's the same day South Korea got their first case. They went right. into full, uh, mode, you know, full shutdown mode, full yeah. testing mode. The president shut down travel to China sometime in early January, and he should have used that time to at least, you know, supply the nation or start the supply chain going. He waited uh, like six weeks before he started doing that. It's it's amazing to me. You know, you you could listen. I think there's um, a leg- legitimate uh, perspective on both sides of that issue. In other words, the one and the one thing says is, you know, we should have done more faster. We should have gotten the military involved faster. We should have developed supplies faster. There's nothing that sits there and says, we didn't know, we weren't able to truly gauge how this was going to impact us. We knew it would. Right. So we're trying to, to gauge the response in a way that we didn't shut down our economy immediately. That we began to try to see, you know, where this was going to yeah. hit and how we could maybe, maybe handle it. Because again, we've never experienced this. Yeah, there's nothing on the shelves that says this is you know this is steps A to Z. This is how you address this and be successful at it. That doesn't exist. So no. we're truly making it up as we go along. And now, I, I, some of your listeners may say, "What? No, 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 Balboni, go to the internet. There are all these things out there." Yeah, there there are, and I've read a lot of them. Yeah, but, and it, but it's not something that you actually can implement it. Well, I mean, you know, it would have been it would have been good if the bad. president, like when the uh, when the Secretary of Homeland Security came, so home, excuse me, uh, HHS came to him and said, "I need two billion dollars worth of supplies right yeah. now," and the president said, uh, "I'll give you twenty five percent of that." I mean, you know, he didn't listen to the people who were advising him, and he fired some of the people that were in place that were dealing with pandemic response on the NSC. It's it's just, look, I, I don't want to blame Donald Trump for everything. I don't blame him for the virus. Uh, I blame him for the response to the virus. But I will say this. He's doing the best he can. He's just not equipped for this kind of job. I mean, I think it's pretty clear. There's a leader in, in Albany named Andrew Cuomo who's, a leader. Yeah. He's not a scientist. He's not a doctor, but he is a leader. 
And 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 Donald Trump is just not a leader. He's standing up at the podium. And Mike, you and I don't agree on everything politically, but you and I both know a leader when we see one. And the first thing leaders need to be is a servant. And the second thing they need to do is take responsibility for everything. And he's neither of those things. And it's, it's, I think, you know, we're a situation and I don't like Mike Pence, but I'd rather see Mike Pence now running the country. And, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's driving me nuts, Mike. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I just needed yeah. to get that off my chest. Sorry. Well, across the political spectrum, there's, you know, we're finding people who are stepping up and we're finding people who aren't. Yes. And I, and I think it, it Governor DeWine in Ohio, I don't agree with him on anything, but he's doing, you know, he's leading. He's trying to yeah, lead, right. you know? Right. They are trying to lead. And, and, and just, but here's the other thing, you know, if you want to just cast dispersions of people you could talk about the, the the congress and the senate you know where were they in the middle of this thing where were they on, on when we first started to see the cases what were they saying are the bills out there let's start appropriating things where's our supplies I, well, there were there were there were hearings in the united states senate back in early february where the hhs secretary was being grilled on this stuff and had no answers i mean there i i was posting about it today uh i went back yeah. and pulled that stuff up the bottom line is is that it's the job of the executive to protect the homeland yeah. security of this United States of America, not the Congress. And we know that. I mean, you've been on both sides. You've been in the executive branch yep. and you've been in the Senate. You know, you know, we all know that Senates and, and, and legislatures are not built to move fast. In fact, the system's designed to move slowly so that we protect against any overwhelming quick changes. All right, let me change gears with you because I only have a few minutes left with you. And I wanted to ask you this question. We're in the middle of this, of this pandemic, Mike, and everybody's focused on it. But are we now opening ourselves up to other types of national security crises, other types of perhaps terrorists and other wrongdoings to this country? Absolutely, unfortunately. Okay, the people who were there are our enemies before the pandemic are our enemies after. Right. And so we're already seeing an uptick in the, in the cyber attacks. We're also we're all, uh, from from cyber crime. You know, trying to take people take advantage of people. Yeah. Saying you know your your corona test has come back you know click on this link and then downloads malware. Uh, two folks beginning to say you know what um, both but domestic and international uh, terrorism going on where people are starting to plan saying look now's the time to hit yeah because the defenses are down yeah so that's that's the most difficult thing for our security and law enforcement at this point in time to keep vigilant while they still try to maintain order in the society get people the help they need it's enormously challenging and stressful to be in security and law enforcement right now because they can't take their eye off the security at the same time they, they have a tremendously important day job. Now, you know, you, you've been around this a long time. Now, other than the virus itself and the spread, what's the thing that's keeping you up at night right now? I'm not sure I want to say. You can say it. There's a reality of these types of things that we've never experienced before. Yeah. That's mass fatalities. Yeah. Yeah. How are we going to deal with mass fatalities in this country? Are we... Are we ready? Do we have the systems in place? Do we have the psyche in place to accept this? Yeah. Now, how is this going to change us going forward? How is it going to change the way we live, our expectations on how safe our society is? Yeah. You know, we've always talked about the millennial folks of being just-in-time society and, and not really having the ability to uh, want to look long-term at any. Right. We've seen it in the job market. I wonder if this is going to change it. I wonder if this is going to change people's views on the institution of marriage, religion. Yeah. Uh, pensions, uh, you know, housing, uh, long-term commitments. I wonder if this is going to change that. Well, I mean, it's already changed a lot of Republicans in Washington's views on, you know, government programs. I mean, 
this bill that was passed last week and signed enthusiastically by the president could only be described as socialism. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's going to be very hard to call this election about socialism now, which is, you know, look, the election's going to be about where we are at the end of this crisis. It doesn't matter who the candidates are. (laughs) You know, know, climate change is certainly taking climate change is certainly taking a backseat. Well, since nobody's driving their cars, the climate's doing pretty well right now. Right. Um, Well, and it is. Yeah. But, you know, there are a lot of social social issues will take a backseat. Yep. To yep. security and safety, healthcare. Yep. You know, that, that's what people are focused on right now. All right, I got, and, and that's going to be the next I got to wrap it up, so Mike. I got 10 seconds left with you. Where do you want people to find you? What are they, where, can they, where, they, where can they look you up? Balboni at redlandstrategies.com. Just go to the website. You can find me there. My contact's there. Excellent. That's my interview with Mike Balboni. Great guy. Republican. Other side of the aisle. Uh, worked really well with him my entire career. It is possible, America. All right. Stay where you are. I'll be right back. All right. So I hope you're all holding up. I, um, my dad had it, and um, he's recovered from it. Thank God. I know a lot of you have families and friends that are going through it. I, I've every time I open up Facebook, I see one of my fan, one of my friends lost somebody. Um, it's a scary time and it's going to be a dark couple of weeks and do something to keep you out of the darkness. Remember that we'll get through this and that things are going to get better. We're not going to be in this situation forever. And, um, you know, I'm optimistic that we are turning the corner. I think it's going to be pretty painful this week for a lot of us but we're turning the corner and you gotta make sure that you are taking a couple of hours a day whether it's from watching a movie or going for a walk or a run or playing with your dog or your children but you gotta take time every single day to separate yourself from this because if you don't I mean it's it's just gonna it's just gonna ruin you so take the time, separate from it. Um, and I know this podcast today is not helping you with that. And I know I try to do that sometimes, but, um, you know, look, we're going to get through this. It's chaos. Be kind to everybody. It's chaos. Be kind. Find a way to be kind. Find a way to separate yourself from what's going on. Find the light. Because it's there. And it will return to all of us. I mean, it's we're going to be changed from this as a country, as a society. I hope so. I don't think we could go back to this partisan bickering. You know, I just don't think we can do this anymore. I, I don't think we could... Look, I'm trying not to be too political on this show today, but I don't think we could have a guy at the top, who's as nasty as the one we have right now when this is over. We need kindness and compassion in this country. And I'm not saying, you know, look, if you're a conservative listening to me right now, it doesn't have to be a Democrat. Find your own compassionate conservative. They're out there. They, Mike Balboni is a good example of that. Um, we, need, we need to be better to each other. And if this has taught you anything, that should be the answer. 
All right, I want to remind you, as always, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, America, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.